In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, it's joy to see you here, to see you in the flesh, to see you physically in this place. We continue as with our exploration of the Lord's Prayer, particularly at this time where we have the joy of celebrating not only the feast and celebration of Veronica, the woman who had an issue of blood, but also in these islands, Saint Sophroni, carried by angels, literally delivered seconds into the divine liturgy, uh, Saint Sophroni, or Father Sophroni, who we remember of a saint, uh, the monastery here in Essex, uh, canonized by the ecumenical patriarchate just one year ago. Uh, we were petitioning uh, for our archdiocese to recognize that canonization uh, uh, this year, but of course uh, everything has gone completely wrong uh, for us and that has not happened yet. So we will continue uh, that petition. Uh, thanks be to God we have an icon uh, that we're able to lay upon the holy table uh, during this time. I said last week, as we started to look at the Lord's Prayer, that we would wind ourselves back a little bit to look at the prayer before the Lord's Prayer. And of course, as I always do with my liturgy book, I lose my place. I have the liturgy of St. Basil also in front of us because it's quite useful for us to compare as we think about the texts of the divine liturgy to compare the liturgy of saint basil with the liturgy of saint john chrysostom they are the same but they differ and where they differ helps us to understand a little bit more about what is happening and i've said before that the lord's prayer at this point it's strange place to have the lord's prayer but to ask the question, why do we have the Lord's Prayer at this point, and why is there this great long litany before the Lord's Prayer, and also why, particularly in the liturgy of St. Basil, a long prayer? Let me read you both prayers. In the liturgy of St. Basil, our God, the God of salvation, you teach us to give you worthy thanks for the good things that you have done for us and still do for us. Having accepted these gifts, O God, cleanse us from every defilement of flesh and spirit and teach us to perfect holiness in awe of you, that receiving a portion of these holy things with a witness of a pure conscience, we may be made one with the holy body and blood of your Christ. Having received them worthily, may we have Christ dwelling in our hearts and become a temple of your Holy Spirit." Yea, O our God, make none of us guilty nor weak in soul or body through partaking unworthily of these your dread and heavenly mysteries. But grant us even to our last breath worthily to receive our portion of your holy things as provision for the journey of eternal life and an acceptable defence before the dread judgment seat of your Christ that we also, together with all the saints who through the ages have been well-pleasing to you, may become partakers of your eternal good things, which you have prepared for those who love you, O Lord. Quite a long prayer, 
Very few of us maybe have heard that prayer, but it is said silently at least by the priest as the litany, of course, happens. There is in the common litany, we all know all of those phrases of the litany because we've heard them, but the litany gives us an extra phrase that our God who loves mankind, having accepted them as a sweet-scented spiritual fragrance on his holy altar above the heavens, perceptible to the mind, may send down upon us in return his divine grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. That's a prayer that is special to this prayer before the Lord's Prayer. So if you've nodded off, as it happens in the Divine Liturgy, and you hear that prayer, you know that the Lord's Prayer is coming up. In the Liturgy of John Chrysostom, this is this prayer before the Lord's Prayer is shorter. To you, O Master who loves mankind, we entrust our whole life and our hope. We ask, we pray, we implore you, count us worthy to partake of your heavenly and dread mysteries at this sacred and spiritual table with a pure conscience, for remission of sins and forgiveness of offences, for communion in the Holy Spirit, for inheritance of the kingdom of heaven, for freedom to speak in your presence and not for judgment or condemnation. Peter, could I have the epistle, please? What are these prayers and what are they saying? And why do we say the Lord's Prayer with this great long litany? Well, what was happening as this Lord's Prayer and this litany before the Lord's Prayer is inserted is for many centuries, majority of the people in the congregation, you standing there, would not take communion, would not proceed for communion. And therefore, the Lord's Prayer was introduced at this point sometime before the, the communion, before actually receiving the sacrament, so that there was a, a sense of departing, a proper departing, rather than just wandering off. And therefore, there was a great litany, a long, fervent supplication litany, and a a good prayer and a preparation prayer. And particularly this phrase in John Chrysostom for communion in the Holy Spirit. I remember when we went into lockdown, when we were unable to give communion, and my Anglican friends, my Church of England friends, also started using this phrase communion in the Holy Spirit or spiritual communion. When we fervently, when we desperately want to take communion but we are unable what happens when we are unable to take communion but we want to take communion we desperately need to take communion well the logic goes certainly in western theology logic the answer is you are still taking communion you are taking, partaking in a spiritual communion, a communion of the Holy Spirit. So even though you are not partaking actually of the body and blood of Christ, your desire of communion means that you are partaking of communion. There's so many things that we could unpick here today because... The theology here is so rich. 
But of course we are so eager to crack on and get on with the divine liturgy that if we speak too long, that you'll get itchy and you'll want me to finish. So I want to connect here with the epistle. Because the epistle tells us so much about a practical problem that we have in the church. Because so many people come to me and so many people, there are in effect really two people who two types of people in the church when it comes to communion. Those people who are reflecting, thinking about the gospel. Those people who are slaves and enslaved in chains, so enchained by their freedom that they never make confession. They come to communion with so much freedom that they never think about it. I'm sure we have all seen these, and without judgment we have all come across these types of people who pitch up to the divine liturgy just in time for communion. Bear in mind my previous comments about people never taking communion, perhaps only once a year, and leaving the divine liturgy at the Lord's Prayer. There is another problem in the church where people turn up to church just in time for communion and come and receive their little bit of magical body and blood with no preparation whatsoever and then immediately leave before even the dismissal. They are so enamoured by their own freedom in Christ that there is no preparation. There is also a second type of person who are so timid and so afraid, so enslaved by their unworthiness that they feel that they can never be worthy enough to receive communion, never come and take communion. They're also often frequenting the confession queue, even minutes before the divine liturgy, even as the divine liturgy has started. They are in that confession queue, making their confession, and yet they are still not in the communion queue because they feel that they are so chained by their passions, by their sinfulness, that they cannot take communion. There are two types of people at the extremes of the church. They are in the church, but they are separated. They are both enchained, enslaved. And what does Christ give us? What does the epistle tell us the epistle tells us and Christ tells us and shows us in the gospel that Christ is the end of the law Christ gives us worthiness Christ counts us worthy that it is not through our worthiness that we approach communion because there is none that is worthy, none that is sinfulness without sin except Christ himself. In this prayer, or these prayers before the Lord's Prayer, in a sense the Lord Church is telling us, my dear brothers and sisters, do not leave now. 
stay. Because you may consider yourself to be unworthy. But actually, you have been made worthy. You have been seen to be worthy. Because there's something about the prayers of the church where we ask God, which says in the prayer here, cleanse us from every defilement of flesh and spirit. It's a petition we ask in God. Please clean us from every defilement of flesh and spirit. Teach us to become perfect in holiness. Make us, none of us, guilty. Make none of us weak in soul and body. Grant us, even to our last breath, to worthily receive our portion of your holy things. These are petitions. They are asking God. But here's the thing about the prayers of the church. Where two or three are gathered in your name, your request will be given. Isn't that the promise? And how many of us are gathered here? Even in total lockdown, when Matushka and I are the only people in this room, there were only two people here living, and yet gathered around us a cloud of witnesses. All these saints, not only Saint Sophroni, but also Seraphim of Sarov, and Saint Nicholas of Myron Lycia, and Saint Patrick of Ireland, Saint Columba of Iona. All of these saints surrounding us, praying with us. So the joy that we have is when we ask to be counted worthy in faith. It is given to us. All we need to do, my dear brothers and sisters, is to ask to be made worthy and the gift is given without question, with joy, with love. Because God is not a wrathful God. God is not an angry God. God is Christ Jesus a loving God. The God of wrath, the God of anger, is the God of the Old Testament. The God that was experienced by the Hebrews in the desert before the incarnation. The God that we experience in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. He encounters the two people possessed by demons. And he releases the two human beings without question. He releases Veronica from her pain and tribulation without question. Even to the demons, he gives them their request. He allows them to enter into swine and rush off into the abyss to their annihilation. He gives them the blessed release that they request to be destroyed because that is what they request. All that we God asks us to do is to be asked to be made worthy. 
the petitions that we have here in this prayer, given to us by the church, are not wrathful petitions, or not angry petitions, are not petitions, prayers to make us shamed and to shame us, but prayers to lift us up, to invite us forward, because they finish and count us worthy. That sentence that should make us stand upright, to stand with boldness, without condemnation, to stand with joy in our hearts, with love in our eyes. Remember those words, my dear brothers and sisters, when we say the Lord's Prayer. And count us worthy. The Lord God, Jesus Christ, has counted us worthy that we before the Lord God, before the creator of time and space, he who is perfect, he who is one, and we can stand before the destroyer of evil and with boldness without condemnation, the God of heaven, the God of time, and we can call him Abba. We can call him Father in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.